If you have your Bible, as we're continuing through Acts, I want to go ahead and ask you to open it up to Acts 22. And um, if you don't have a Bible, there are some in the seats in front of you. We, we say that just so you uh, are aware that we want you to have the Bible in front of you. Um, even if you don't believe in God, if you're in a journey of faith uh, trying to figure this out, um, we encourage you to, to get in the Bible. So, um, do you guys know any good storytellers? Anyone knows someone that when they tell a story, it just captures your attention? Um, I remember when I was a child uh, going to my grandparents' home, and when I would go to their home, um, I remember that I always looked forward to my grandfather taking the time to sit down and share some of his stories. And we kind of had to drag it out of him because at first he didn't really want to share, but then uh, we'd say, oh, come on, Papa, you got you to tell some stories. And so he would start to share some of his stories because he had been a World War II vet. And I, I can remember just like imagining when he, would, when he would talk about things, I could picture it in my head, even though, I mean, I've never been in war. I'd watched some of those old war movies, and so I imagined it all in black and white because <laughs> that's all of the movies are in black and white. And I just I imagined like him being in his tank. He was a tank commander in northern Africa, and I remember that the stories that he would tell. And, and to this day, those stories are, are with me because there's something that's very, very powerful about story, isn't there? And, and, and what's interesting is that we live in Austin, and so this is an arts-driven uh, culture, and you get all these creative types. And the storytellers of our day, many of them are musicians, and they use lyric uh, that they write for their songs to tell stories, and it captures your imagination, and then you get the music with it, and it's, it's really a, a fascinating thing. And, and so um, tonight, I want us to look specifically into the book of Acts in chapter 22 and look at a story that Paul shares. Paul shares his own personal story um, of how he came to faith in Christ. And here's the thing. Um, if you're not a believer if you don't have a personal faith in Jesus um, tonight, then you don't, you don't know this story. You don't have this story. But if you're a believer in Jesus in the room, uh, then you, can, can, uh, you have your own version of this story. And I just want to encourage you tonight that this story is powerful. Okay, let me just say that on the front end. This story, not just Paul's story, but your story, my story of coming to faith in Jesus is powerful. And, and it's, a, it's a story that needs to be shared. It's a story that God wants us to share. And we'll talk more about that as we get into it. So let me give you a little bit of setup before we get into the text because what you find is Paul um, has once again gotten himself in trouble with authorities. This is like a broken record. Every time we see Paul, he's proclaiming the gospel and they're getting ticked off about it, and, which isn't much different than uh, the one he followed, Jesus uh, and so these leaders are just getting really agitated again at Paul, and they bring him before the leaders in Jerusalem, which he already knew when he went to Jerusalem this was going to happen. He'd been told by um, a messenger and given that in a vision. And so he's like, he knows that his, his days on the earth are waning, and he's coming to the end of his life. So he's there in Jerusalem, and in uh, chapter 21, verse 37 it says that Paul was being brought out by the commander, and uh, he said, can I, can I say something to you? And, and many of the people that are there, they, they had mistaken who Paul was, and they, they said, you're like this leader of 4,000 assassins in the wilderness, and um, 
Paul said, no, 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 that's not me. I'm not that guy. You guys have got it all wrong. But he goes on to ask for permission to talk to this mob that want to kill him. This mob wants him dead. They want him wiped off the face of the planet. And he says, can I have just a little bit of time to talk to the crowd? And they say, sure, go ahead. And I don't know how this works, but Paul is in the middle of this crowd, and it says he raises his hand, motioned with his hand is the way that the text puts it, HDSB, motions with his hand to the people, and there was a great hush. And then he began to address them in the Hebrew language. Now, I know when you guys stand up in a crowd and you raise your hand, everybody just kind of hushes to listen, right? I mean, I wish that would work in my house. If I could just raise my hand and everybody just gets quiet. That would be awesome, okay? I just need to get some lessons on this from Paul, apparently. But he raises his hands, there's a great hush, and then he addresses them in the Hebrew language, which again reminds us of the versatility of Paul. Paul was an amazing missionary, but he had this background of being a Roman citizen and yet was Jewish, and he spoke the language of Hebrew, and he spoke the language of Greek, and he could speak into that culture, and there's something about being able to speak in their language that they heard it. In fact, it even goes on to say here in a second that when he began to speak in Hebrew, they became even quieter in verse 2 because they're like, whoa, wait, this dude's speaking Hebrew. Listen in. It's their mother tongue. They recognized it, and they were, they were really locked in. But this is what he says. He says, Brother and, brothers and fathers. Now, I always thought that was interesting. Ladies, you got left out of the equation. He addresses the brothers and fathers. What's up with that, right? That's part of the culture then. Most of these guys that were here, most of the mob was men, were men. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense before you. When they heard the message, he was addressing them in the Hebrew language. They became even quieter. He continued, I am a Jewish man born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, which would have been Jerusalem, that's where he is in Jerusalem, at the feet of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel is one uh, who was a, uh, one of the most famous rabbis of his day. And he was um, incredibly gifted intellectually and specifically at teaching the law. He was one of the ones that all the Jewish little boys would grow up saying, man, I want to be a follower, a disciple of Gamaliel. In fact, we see him show up earlier in Acts because he has this incredible wisdom when they bring these uh, apostles in front of him and the apostles are getting ready to get beaten and they're going to kill him. And Gamaliel's like, hey, 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 wait, wait, wait. Be really careful because what you do here to these guys, what if, what if these guys, what if it causes a riot and it's going to be on us and then the Romans are going to get mad and they're going to come after us. And so he says, don't do that, don't do that. And he says, uh, let, let's, let's have a little bit of wisdom here and how we handle them. And so they follow Gamaliel's advice. Why? Because he was this leader amongst the religious leaders in the Jewish community, okay? And Paul is raised up underneath him. So this tells you something because you didn't just pick your teacher. You didn't just say, hey, I like Harley. I'm going to go let him be my teacher. You said, I uh, hope to have a teacher, and that teacher would pick you. They would choose you. So obviously, Paul was intelligent, and Paul, Paul had some gifting uh, that therefore enabled him to become a, a disciple of Gamaliel, and he was brought up in his teaching. So they, all these Jews at this point, when they heard that, they would be like, whoa, let's listen to this guy. This dude's legit. That's kind of how they would see it, all right? And so he goes on to say that he was educated according to the strict view of our patriarchal law. So literally, they followed the law to the letter. I mean, every single detail of the law, they were trying to implement that in their everyday life. That's intense. Have you read some of the Old Testament laws? Have you seen some of the laws that are there? Let's just say some of them are a little odd. But they literally kept every one of those laws. That was their goal. Um, and he, he knew all of the law inside and out. He had memorized the whole Torah, uh, which was all of their texts that they had. He knew it. 
And it says this, that um, not only was he educated, but he was being zealous for God just as all of you are today. So Paul does a great job of um, basically encouraging them and kind of building goodwill. He's like, yeah, you guys are zealous, and that's a good thing. So again, we see how Paul is so gifted because he has the ability to speak into their lives and to make them feel good about themselves before he tells them the truth, right? <laughs> so this is what happens is he, he shares this, and then he goes on to say, I persecuted this way to the death. Now, in your Bible, it should be capitalized, right, when you see the word way. You know what he's referring to. They didn't call them Christians in the first century. Anyone who followed Jesus was called people of the way. They followed in the way of Jesus. And so uh, the, Christian, the, the title Christian didn't come till later on. And in, as I've shared, I think, before with you guys, it wasn't actually a, a positive term. It was a negative term. It was kind of viewed as this thing of um, not, not such, a, such a great thing. It was actually an insult. But I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. And after I received letters from them to the brothers, I traveled to Damascus to bring those who were prisoners there to be punished in Jerusalem. Let's stop there. So this is Paul pre-meeting Jesus. Before he came to a personal encounter and relationship with Jesus, this is what his life looked like. Let me just pull three quick observations out of this that I think you and I can identify with, that our lives mirror the same thing. The first thing is notice that Paul has a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. He has a misunderstanding, a misconception before he encounters Jesus personally of who Jesus is. Um, we know this because he is following the law, he's following the Pharisees, and who, are the, who killed Jesus ultimately? Who was responsible for his death? Okay, that's the, that's the hyper-spiritual answer. No, I'm just kidding. That's a, that's a good answer. You're right. We ultimately are responsible for our, for our own sin, but who, who killed him on, that, on the day? Okay, good. Jewish people, Jewish leaders, all right? So the Jewish leaders killed him, and that would have been people like Paul. They killed Jesus. Why did they kill him? Because they didn't think he was the Messiah. They thought he was this leader who was stirring up Jews to follow a different way than what God had given them in the text. Do you understand that Pharisees did not recognize that they were Pharisees? They didn't see themselves the way that we see them. They didn't see themselves as like legalists. That They didn't see themselves as understanding um, that, that they were just following a law. They thought they were really passionate about God, and this is just the way they expressed that. Isn't it interesting that if we're not careful, we can be so religious, so committed to God, that we can actually make a moralism out of that, and people who follow that, we accept, and people who don't, we, can, we keep them out. We become Pharisees like that, don't we? But Paul misunderstood who Jesus was, and that's the baseline of, of what goes on in our culture every day, day in and day out. People, don't, they don't understand who Jesus is. Rather than a savior, they see him as a threat. Rather than as one who has come to serve them, they see him as someone who's coming to, to smack them down and to make them follow him. Rather than seeing him as one who was willing to sacrifice everything, they see Jesus as this man who wants to take away all their rights, take away all their fun, take away all of their life. And so they misunderstand Paul, who was actually Saul at the time, uh, and when this happens in his story, he misunderstood Christ. But the second thing is that when you misunderstand Christ, you misplace your trust. When you misunderstand Christ, you misplace your trust. And here's what I mean by that. You then put your trust in something other than Jesus to save you. 
That is happening all over. People put their trust in their good works to save them. People put their trust in their stuff to save them. People find all other gods that they worship and they give their life to. Because when you don't understand who Christ is, you're going to find something else to fit in that hole of your life. You're going to look for something else, to, that object of worship, to pour yourself into. And that's what happened. Paul, he misunderstood who Christ was, therefore he misplaced his, his trust. And specifically, he misplaced his trust in himself. And that's what we do. In fact, I've talked to people as, in, in recent days, and you talk to them about what they believe. And at the bottom line of, of every person is they're, they're going to put their trust in something they're going to put their hope in something, in someone. And if you don't put your hope in Jesus, ultimately you're putting your hope in yourself. You're putting your trust in yourself. And that was Paul. And the third thing is that when you do that, when you misunderstand Christ, you misplace your trust, then you find your meaning for life in things that are temporary, in things that cannot save you, in things that cannot satisfy you. And so there are temporary insufficient sources Listen, all of our life, all of our lives before Christ, we find ourselves in this place. Now, your story may be different. In fact, many of you, you may have different ways that you pursued to find your meaning in something else. You may have found something else to put your trust in. We don't all have the exact same story, but the pattern is the same. We don't understand who Christ is. We therefore place our, our trust in something other than Christ. And as a result, we try to find all of our meaning, all of our worth, all of our purpose in something other than what God intended. Are you with me? And that's the pattern of before Christ. For me, in my life, I told you before, I've grown up, I grew up as a church brat, which I think in some ways, and let me define church brat, I grew up in church all of my life from before I was born, hearing sermons, um, hearing teaching about the Bible, uh, singing songs about Jesus, and going to church every single week. As I've said before, like closest thing I have to a drug testimony is that I was drugged to church every Sunday, Okay? That's my story. And it is a dangerous, dangerous place to be when you're that religiously committed because you then begin to put your trust in those religious activities to save you. And they can't. They're not sufficient. You begin to put your trust in knowing the right things to say and knowing the scriptures and memorizing songs. And, and those things are all great. In fact, they've become a, a blessing to me as I've come to see Jesus Christ for who he is and allowed him to be my savior rather than me trying to save myself through those works, through those things. But many of us find ourselves before Christ in, these, in this place. But then the next thing that we see in the text in Acts 22 is we get to see Paul encounter Christ. He has a personal encounter with Christ. He says this, as I was traveling, this is verse six if you're following along. As I was traveling and near Damascus about noon, an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene, the one you're persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. That's very interesting. Then I said, what should I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told about everything that is a sign for you to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me, and I came to Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, 
having a good reputation with all the Jews residing there, came and stood by me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour, I looked up and I saw him. And then he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the sound of his voice. So here is Saul's encounter. Now, anybody have a story similar to that and how you came to faith, put your faith in Jesus Christ? You may get struck down on the road by a bright light. Notice, it's noon. What's the brightest time of the day? Noon, right? The sun is the highest in the sky, and yet he is blinded by a light that is brighter than the sun. And that light just so happens to be Jesus. It's a great reminder when Jesus says he is the light of the world. Like if he needs to turn the light on, he can turn the light on. But he is represented by light in this story, and he blinds Paul in that moment. And what I want you to notice from this story is a couple of important details. First is this, that when Paul, when Saul, who's walking down the road with his compadres, with his buddies, to go and do some more damage to those who believed in following Jesus, that were followers of the way, when he is struck down, notice what happens. Does God say, hey there, what you doing? He says, Saul, Saul. He says his name. And not only that, but the other companions that are with Saul, they don't hear it. They're there, but they don't hear it. Here's what I want you to get. That when we have an encounter with Jesus, God is personal with us. He's personal. That every one of us need a personal encounter with God. I've been in services before and, uh, you know, just we're talking through the word and and we're preaching and proclaiming the word of God, and somebody will come up afterward, and they will say, man, God was just speaking to me tonight. God was just saying something awesome to me. And then I'll say, well, what did he say? And then they'll say it, and I'm like, we didn't talk about that. (laughs) You ever had one of those moments? You're like, no, because I'm not a preacher. Hey, the people, and I'll say, listen, that was God, because we didn't even say anything about that. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit works in ways that we can't understand and that he is personal. And he will take something that God is trying to show everybody and he will bring it down to a personal level. And he says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I think that's significant because we each need a personal, breathing relationship, interaction with God, with Jesus Christ. You see, one of the challenges for me being a church brat, like I mentioned earlier, and I don't know if you guys, that's your story or not, is that many times Christian kids who grew up in church rely on their parents' faith. And they assume that because their parents are Christians that they're Christian. And they assume that because their parents went to church, you know, that's just part of who we are. And then the first time their faith is tested, the first time they they deal with suffering and they don't know how to explain it, the first time that they deal with hardship, or the first time they come to a decision where, or, or for that matter, they go to college and nobody's there to say, get out of bed and go to church, or get out of bed and follow Jesus. They have that moment where it's like, is this my faith or is this my parents' faith? Because most of the time what we've seen in the church is many of those kids, it's their parents' faith. And when they have that moment in college, they walk away. You know, check you later, I'm done. And we need a personal encounter with God. I'm not advocating that we as parents <laughs> give up our role to disciple our kids and teach them about God. But you know what you need to be praying, mom and dad? What I need to be praying for my kids is not that they will know about God, but they will know God. Not that they will simply have more information about God, but they will actually have a living, breathing relationship 
with God. Because information about God will not get you through the hardships of life. In fact, in the middle of hardships, what we don't need is just simply another explanation. We need an encounter, a revelation from God, who he is and what he has done. Because hardship, when it comes, information is not enough to overcome it. I can guarantee you. You could say it all day long. That's why when somebody walks up to me and you know, something's going on and they're like, they start preaching a bunch of word. And I know they're trying to be kind. They're trying to be nice. Listen, in that moment, it just, it just turns my heart harder. <laughs> like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, because what we need is we need Jesus. We need a living, breathing relationship with Jesus. There are people who study the Bible all their life and know the word inside and out and don't follow Jesus because they never had a personal encounter with him. So, Saul has a personal encounter with Jesus. But not only that, notice what happens. What does God do to Saul in order to get his attention? He blinds him. Now, first off, it was gonna take some extreme circumstances for Saul to turn from the path that he was on because he was completely going the opposite direction. He was killing people who followed Jesus. And so God had to get his attention. He had to shake him. He had to say, Paul, he said, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wake up, dude. I, I'm, I'm God. You're going the wrong direction. Here, here's what I know to be true. Some of us in our life, in order for God to get our attention, sometimes he has to bring pain into our life so that we'll listen. Sometimes he has to br- he bring hard circumstances into our life to listen. Because it's only sometimes in those moments that we'll wake up and say, God, I need you. God, help me. And so in this particular situation, he literally blinds Saul. Can you imagine? He's walking down the road. The next moment, light blinds him. He can't see. It says literally he had to have these guys carry him by the hand to go into the community where God had sent him and to talk to Ananias. You know, um, time and time again, I've seen this and I've heard people share their story. And they've said, you know, I was going through a really hard time. I was going through a really difficult circumstance. And God, that, that's when I found God. And sometimes that's what has to happen in order for us to be awakened and be aware of who God is and what he's doing. But then to notice the other thing is that when Christ encounters Paul, not only is it personal, and not only did it bring pain into Saul's life initially, but it, he gave him specific instructions, specific directions when God meets you and when he encounters you, he will give you some specific instructions, some specific directions. He told him to go find this man, this man Ananias, and he finds him and he regains his sight. And so that was Saul's encounter with the living God. The third thing we see in this section, though, is what happens after he meets Christ, after he has this encounter with Jesus. Well, um, if you go with me to the bottom there, of this story, it says in verse 15, for you will be a witness for him to all people of what you have seen and heard, and now why delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. What happens after Paul puts his faith and trust in Jesus? He's baptized. He's baptized. It's very important. Baptism is significant. It is, it is very um, It's a very important moment in our life as believers. And I think part of the reason God has called us to be baptized is to go public 
so that other people know whose team we're on. They know that we're following Jesus. We're members of the way. I also think that he's given it to us practically to help us remember that moment. I mean, I still remember. I was young. I was five years old when I was baptized. And I remember to this day, like, just not every single detail, but when you go underwater, somebody kind of pushes you underwater and holds you there. For ten, no, they didn't do that. But when you go underwater, you, you, you remember that. And it's a memorable experience to remind myself that I am Christ. I'm a Christ follower. I'm following Jesus. But the next thing he does is he gives him a commission. And I want you to notice this because Paul, or Saul, at the moment, before he changes his name, Saul is a brand spanking new believer. He's just put his trust in Christ. And what does Jesus say to him to do? Go and do what? Tell others. Go and tell others. And tell them what? What you have seen and heard. What you experienced. What was your story? He wants them to go and share his story with others. And we know that Paul did that because he becomes one of the greatest missionaries to ever walk the face of the planet. He went and shared what Christ had done in him. Here's the thing. I'm convinced that sometimes we don't share our faith because Christ hasn't done anything in us to share. Or we've flat out forgotten what he's done for us. Because when we reflect and we remember that we were headed to death and destruction, like that should stir something in us to worship him, but also to tell others about that story. Like I heard this week, I was talking with some people and, they, and, and one of the, the gentlemen that was there just said, you know, like, listen, if you're a believer, if, if, I, if I know of a believer, and I don't, like I don't describe this stuff, but if you're a believer, then why wouldn't you tell other people if you believe that people are gonna die and go to hell if they don't know this stuff? See, you know, we as Christians sometimes, we, we're so, uh, we, have lack, we lack confidence. We, we, lack, we lack passion. We lack um, uh, a desire to tell others. But many times it's because we have forgotten what Christ has done for us. We have forgotten where he encountered us and he called us by name and he said, I want you to be my child. I want to adopt you. I want to make you right. I want to forgive you. I want to bring, I want you to be with me forever. But in this story, God says specifically, you're going to go and be a witness. And notice this, it's interesting. He tells him specifically, he's gonna, and this is two verses later, he says, you're gonna go be a witness in, amongst the Gentiles. He'd spent his whole life up to this point building a wall between him and the Gentiles, saying how much better he was than the Gentiles because they had God, and the Gentiles were these hopeless, helpless people that were never gonna come to faith. And now God says, this is just the irony of God, right? You're gonna go and be a missionary. You're gonna go be a witness, to the Gentiles. And you're gonna become one of those people that you've been killing. See, that's transformation, isn't it? God has the ability to take us when we're going this way and turn us completely around and bring us back this way. Here's the thing. As we close out tonight, I want you to think about your story. As we think about how that Paul found himself initially in a place of misunderstanding who Christ was, misplacing his trust, finding meaning in other things. But Christ comes down and meets with him on the road, and he speaks personally his name. He gives him specific instructions, even through pain, to get his attention. But then he gives him a command to go and share his story with others. Your story may not be exactly Saul's, But if you've come to faith in Jesus, your story mirrors his. There's a before Christ, there's a meeting Christ, and there's an after Christ. And that is the most powerful way that you and I can point people to life in Jesus, is by sharing our story. People don't need to just hear 
the three bullet points of the gospel. They need to see and hear our lives demonstrating how Christ changes everything. Are you with me? So I don't know where you are in your personal walk. Maybe tonight God is speaking to you personally and specifically. Maybe he's speaking to you and saying to you, but when is the last time you as a believer shared your story with someone else? I don't think we share our stories near enough in the church because I think that we should celebrate that the telling of our story and how we came to know Christ regularly. We should find reasons to share our story. Look for ways to share our story because it tells of what Christ did. And no matter what we have in our past that we are ashamed of, we aren't saved because of our works. We're saved because of Christ's perfection. So don't have to be ashamed. In fact, there's incredible freedom. There's incredible freedom to come and share our story because of who Christ is and what he's done. Um, I'll close with this story. When uh, I was in middle school, um, we would go to retreats a lot at the church that we were part of, and one of the, the hard parts for me was my dad was the student pastor, so my dad was everywhere. My mom was everywhere. I went. But uh, we would go to these retreats, and we were on this one particular retreat, and it was in the wintertime, and it was cold, and we were riding a people mover. You know what a people mover is? Um, I don't know if they call them that anymore, but they're kind of those bus van thing, kind of hybrid deals. And we were riding this people mover, and there's a bunch of 6th and 7th and 8th graders on there. So it stunk. It smelled like a bunch of 6th and 7th and 8th graders. And, and we're driving down the road, and it's cold, and the windows are fogging up. And my little sister, who's 10 years younger than me, she was on the trip with us. And I was trying to keep my distance from her, right? Because I'm too cool for that. And so she's, she's on. But I noticed my sister is walking up and down the aisles of the bus, and she's, she's jumping into the seats with these kids, and she's going to their window where they're all fogged up, and she's wiping them with her hand. And she'll wipe them with her hand, and she'll say to them, look, you can see outside. Do you see the snow? Isn't it beautiful? Look at the snow. She's like four years old, and they're getting really annoyed. <laughs> but she goes to every window on the bus and every person, and she says, look, you can see the snow. Look outside. She wipes the window for them. Listen, when you and I share our story of what Christ has done, it's like we are going to people, and we're wiping the window because they have a fog. They can't see. They are blinded. They're unaware. And we get to show them, look, there's Christ. He is beautiful. And you can have life in him if you will put your trust in him. It's like our story opens their mind to see tangibly that God's not just some far off God, but he is a God who is personal, who changes everything about us. That our marriage gets an oppor- is an opportunity to, to show them the beauty of Christ and how unconditional love can be lived out in a marriage relationship. That our parenting, as we step in and give our kids love and grace and truth, is an opportunity to show people that Christ is beautiful and he's worth following and he's everything. And I don't think that we're sold that that's really the case. I think we'd rather just sit on the bus and just ride along and just get to heaven one day. And we're missing it. We're missing it. God has called us to be people who are pointing people to life in him. I want to give my life to that because he's changed my life. I was headed to destruction and now I'm headed to life. I was going to spend eternity in hell separated from him. I believe that. If he hadn't come and intervened, if he hadn't called my name, if he hadn't saved me, 
Why do we say it's saved? Because he's saving us from something horrible. And sometimes we forget that he has saved us. And now we get to be messengers of the gospel, the good news. And so Paul's story, the reason I believe he was such a powerful change agent, powerful missionary, powerful witness for, the God, for God is because he had a powerful encounter with the living Christ who turned his life around and he couldn't stop talking about it for the rest of his days. Like, that's what I want. That's what I hope for you. That's what I think you want if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you haven't put your trust in Christ for salvation, if you're still trying to work your way to him, hey, stop. You're never gonna get there on your own. Christ is sufficient. 